0: Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein, I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a recyclable bottle and I love film. As Victor Hugo once famously said, Music expresses that which cannot be put into words and that which cannot remain silent and works even better alongside moving images, preferably with the narrative and serious character arcs and whatnot. Yeah, that's it. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Sharon Stone and even Pled Plambles, but this week it's the brilliant and incredible comedian, it's Taylor Tomlinson. The first three episodes of Shrinking, the show co-created by myself and Bill Lawrence and Jason Siegel, are available to watch on Apple TV+. Plus. Give it a go. You will almost certainly definitely love it. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 20 minutes of chat with Taylor. We laugh a lot. We talk secrets. We talk beginnings and endings. You get the whole episode uncut. You get it ad free and you get it as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Taylor Tomlinson is an exceptional stand-up. You can see her two specials on Netflix. They're amazing. Or you can go and see her new stuff on tour. If you're in London, she is doing some shows there soon. I think for the first time, so definitely go and see her. She will blow your mind. I'd met her a couple of times at gigs before this, and I was very excited to get her on the podcast. She is a real delight. We recorded this on Zoom the other day, and I really think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 233, of Films To Be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films To Be Buried With. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, a writer, a producer, a TikToker, a body rocker, a last comic standinger, a Netflix superstar, And genuinely, one of the greatest stand-ups that we have working today. She's an absolute mind-blower. I cannot believe we've got her on the show. Can you believe it? I can't. Is she here? She is. Will she speak soon? You better believe it, kid. Here we go. It's only, she's here, it is, Taylor Tomlinson! I
2: was trying so hard not to laugh over your your very extensive, dishonest intro. (laughs)
0: How are you? What that was a, fabulous. What a treat. What a treat to have I'm you. I'm
2: great. How are you?
0: Good to see you. Good to see you. We met very briefly at the Improv once, at your favorite gig at the Improv.
2: I thought I met you at Largo.
0: Oh, yeah. We did Largo and then we did Improv with you and... Um, did we do the
2: Improv?
0: Yeah. You and, oh, yeah, uh, we did. Okay. Yeah, And uh, you are an astonishing comedian. I think your last Netflix special is incredible. And I also think you do the thing that puts you in the top 10 category that is really funny, naturally funny, excellent funny, but also such a worker as in jokes on jokes on jokes on jokes. Every line has 40 jokes in it. You're fucking good at it. You're very, very good. Oh, thanks. That's so nice. And I was thinking about it because I remember I wondered if you felt this or feel this like you started young and you had your first special at 25 and mm-hmm. I know comics and I know people and I know that that is that puts you in a position of like who's this fucking kid how dare she <laughs> which is why I always I, I wondered if like your sort of work ethic came just naturally that's how you always are or if it was like I really need to prove myself because people are going to be like who's this fucking child having a go you know what I mean
2: no Oh, it absolutely comes from that. Uh, that's right. my inner dialogue, is who's this right. fucking kid all the time? Because, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was 16 when I started, and so Ooh. for years, and, and I'm sure, look, I think anybody who's successful in this business uh, knows that there are a lot of reasons why people get opportunities, and, like, I'm sure me being younger helped me get certain opportunities, and so you just try to work hard and be worthy of them when you get them, but, oh, my God, yeah, I was so scared that everyone was going to be like, this sucks. And she just got it because she's a child. And this was a fluke, and we're never going to let her do anything again. So I was really glad when they gave me another one. And I felt like this one was like, okay, let's like prove it. That we're actually like one of the guys, one of the comedians.
0: I mean, you're beyond one of the comedians. Do you think when you get old, you'll just start coasting? Because you'll be like, yeah, I'm old now. I don't have to to work hard. I I deserve to be a comedian. I'm old (laughs)
2: I certainly hope so, though. Though. I mean, yeah. it hasn't happened yet. I would have thought that I could coast. But when I was younger, I thought once I have a Netflix special, I'll coast. And then I got a Netflix special and I was like, well, I can't coast because that might have been oh. a fluke. Then I got the second one and I was like, well, now I can coast. And now I'm like, no, it's it's never been harder to coast. I feel like you, you have to be coast. doing everything now. You can never coast. like Like, no coast. especially with social media being what it is, like. I have a social media manager who's, you know, she's 24 and she's amazing and great. And she's always telling me to post every day. And I'm like, (sighs) I think I'm like one of the people who's doing a good job at this. And I feel like I don't do enough. Like, I'm writing jokes that are just for the internet. And then I have my hour. And then I have, you know, sort of like the next hour started before we film that one. So we have a jumping off point. Like, You just have to produce so much material and so much content now in a way that you just never had to before
0: that's made me really depressed (laughs) i'm so sorry i mean yeah
2: i'm coasting (laughs) good time out here
0: (laughs) my question to you is i I didn't see it at the time and i'm interested i'm always interested in everyone on this like when you do stand up do you get nervous i mean you do it all the time but do you get nervous before a gig or are you is it easy stepping on stage every day
2: Uh, I think it depends what it is and where it is. I mean, I don't get nervous most of the time anymore. When I was younger, I had really bad stage fright. I would get like nauseous for a week. Mm -hmm. It was was really tough when I was younger. But especially now, like having an audience, it is so nice to walk out on stage for people who paid to specifically see you. Like, you know, it's so different than going out and winning over people who are just there for comedy or for someone else, like, it's much, much easier in terms of nerves. So I don't get nervous so much anymore. I'll get nervous for weird things. Like, if it's a show I've been nervous about, it's usually because, like, you know, my manager and agents came to see the Hmm. new hour or I have a friend there, you know, that doesn't see me perform very
0: much or... That's awful, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I get more nervous performing in town. I get more nervous going to like the comedy store or the comedy cellar mm. because of just, God, I hope everyone here thinks I'm good and funny. Like on the road, you don't really get nervous. You're like, I mean, yeah. if this is bad, no one's no going to see gonna it. it. No, <laughs> no one's going to know. Except for these 1,200 people. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about um, your last special, which is truly fucking brilliant. It was all about I believe the entire hour was about mental health, basically.
2: A lot of it was. Yeah, not the whole thing, but a lot of it, yeah.
0: As a theme. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really good. Really, you know, wise and really funny. And I wondered if that was an early choice. Like, I'm going to do an hour about this. I want to talk about this stuff. Or whether that just came from... I've got lots of stuff that seems to be on this theme. And then became an hour.
2: Yeah, no, it wasn't a plan at all. I mean, I think... For my first special quarter life crisis, that was very much like I took more serious jokes out and saved them because I wanted that hour to just be about being in your 20s and be Mm. sort of thematically consistent. And then the second hour sort of just evolved until it became like the first half is about mental health and grief, I think, Mm. or maybe even 40 minutes of it is. Because I knew I wanted to do jokes about losing my mom as a kid, but I didn't know how much of it was going to be in the hour. I think it it just expanded until it was more than I expected it to be. And then I got diagnosed with bipolar 2 like six months before we filmed it. Oh, and wow. And initially, yeah. It's, yeah, so initially I was like, I'm not going to talk about this on stage at all. And then I was, you know, working on the hour and... I think I tried to joke about it maybe in like Kentucky. I was just like, mm-hmm. "Ah, this is just a new one. Let me see." And it did really well and I I just tend to write about stuff that's happening to me. So,
0: yeah.
2: I just, it just sort of happened and it moved up in the hour and by the time we were filming it, I was like, "Oh, this is like 4 minutes in. We're getting into this." Yeah. It, it was very I mean, both both specials I've done and I'm sure this one will be the same way. Sort of the, like 5 months before it came out something big happened in my life that sort of changed the entire direction of the hour, like changed a big portion of it in a big way, which is, I think, the really cool thing about stand-up is you just never know what life's going to throw at you if you are a very Mm. personal comedian. Like, I don't know if you feel like this. I feel like you're pretty personal, right? You're not, yeah, like, topical (laughs) and observational so much as you're personal, right? I'm pretty personal.
0: I I was going to ask you, but then I thought, actually, maybe you can't answer this because for obvious reasons, but is there anything that you won't talk about on stage? I'm guessing you're not going to tell me what that would be because you don't want to talk about it on a podcast, but are you, in theory, open to talking about anything?
2: You know, that's interesting because lately I've been less willing to talk about certain things. I think when I was younger, I was like, I will write jokes about anything. Mm. And over the years, I've gotten better. And luckily, I got better at this before I was doing specials about like if I write jokes about you know an ex or something I will Mm. disguise it so you can't tell or figure out who it is or it's not too personal or too pointed I always say like I dated someone years ago like it's it's never like I just went through a breakup like I I try to be sensitive about that I mean before the last special came out I sent my aunt all the jokes about Losing my mom, which, you know, none of the jokes were about my mother specifically, but I didn't mm-hmm. want her to see it and feel like I was being disrespectful or poking fun at, you know, the greatest yeah, tragedy yeah. of her life as well as mine. Because I just don't think, I don't think, I don't think a joke is worth your relationships. Like, I just don't think it is. Yeah. And yeah, there's certain things now that I'm like, nah, I don't know. Maybe we don't have to get into that. Or I've learned to wait on certain things and go, you know what? let's just see how we feel about this in six months and then hopefully talk about it from a more balanced, mature perspective. Um, Because when you first write jokes about a breakup or a difficult parental relationship or or what have you, it comes out much harsher, I think, then
1: because
2: you're coming from such a hurt place. I mean, have you found that? I don't know. how. Like same question to you, I guess.
0: Well, everything that I... My first two stand-up shows were incredibly personal, but they were also about things that were quite a long time ago. So I'd, I'd left enough time that it felt like, A, I can make proper jokes about this without it being too sad or too dark. But also the people involved are now far enough away from it. As in, I'm disguising everyone, but still, you know. I always remember going, I won't name these people... I hope this is okay. I went to the Edinburgh Festival, which I went to a lot. And there were two... I always think about this. There were two shows. They were two basically dead mum shows. They were, they were a show... Mm. A guy talking about his mum who died and a guy talking about his mum who died. Both shows. And one of them was quite recent and one of them was long ago. And the one that was long ago was a great show. And it was very moving and it was very funny and it was great. And I felt as an audience... Watching it, I was like, this is really good because he's doing all this quite deep, difficult stuff. But I feel safe here because I can tell he's okay. Ultimately, he's okay. And the other guy, it was too raw. And I guess, you know, you could argue, well, that's interesting. It was interesting. But I felt in danger as an audience. I felt worried for him. I sort of wanted to go, are you okay? Like I kept, I almost wanted to like heckle. Are you okay? (laughs) Because it, it didn't feel... I, I always I felt like you're not ready to talk about this. I get that you're doing it, but you haven't processed any of this enough to make a good comedy show. What you what what we're doing here is feels unsafe. Feels like yeah. you, I'm worried about. I'm really worried about you. So I'm not sure this is a good show. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's also you know you always hear that Tignataro set where she's just found out she's got cancer. It's an amazing set, and that's immediate. You know, like I guess depends. The answer
2: is it depends. Yeah. yeah, it depends if you're a genius or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it helps if you're a
0: genius.
2: <laughs> helps if you're a genius like Tignataro. Yeah, no, I think that's 100% true. I, I again, not to harp on my dead mom material, mm-hmm. but the dead mom jokes and look at you, like a few of them yeah. I had tried to do when I was, you know, 21, 22, and I just hadn't gone to enough therapy and I hadn't worked yeah. through enough of it. And, and I really did think I was fine and I would get frustrated with audiences. And also part of it is like, I was just too young. Like nobody believed I was okay. I wasn't okay with anything. I was like a mess. And even now I try to be respectful of that when I'm working on material. If I feel like, like there was some material I was doing about a difficult relationship in my family that still is very painful for me. And I had Mm -hmm. turned it into material and some nights that felt like justice. And then other nights it felt like, oh my God, why did I even bring this up right now? Like, not because it wouldn't go well, it was all working, but it was a lot for me to act like I was okay when I'm just not yet. And I'm like, you can talk about this later. Like, these are evergreen jokes that you can do in a year or two or never. Like, it's also okay to just never do certain jokes. But right now you are, as you said, too raw. And I think you just have to, as you mature as a performer, I think you get better at, at recognizing that about yourself. And in the same way you like learn to live with anxiety and depression, you just go, oh, yeah. I wish I didn't feel that way right now. But I do. So we're going to be gentle and wait yeah, until nice. we don't feel that way.
0: There's the thing where my, my first stand up show, which was about a period of my life that stuff happened. And I remember I always think about the fact that like in my early preview of it, I did the, did the hour maybe for the third time. And afterwards, a woman from the audience came up to me and just hugged me and said, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I really thought, oh, oh you know, that was meant to be a comedy show. And, I, and it was a real lesson in like, oh, I've sold this completely wrong to the audience. They feel I have to twiddle this to make it much more safe to laugh about. And, you know what I mean? Like, she just thought it was a dramatic monologue about a terrible incident. And, oh, my uh, God you know
2: yeah you don't want i'm sorry that happened you want thank yeah. you for talking to about that it yeah. made me feel better that's what you yeah. want you want thank you not i'm sorry
0: <laughs> i'm sorry is a terrible reaction from an audience with with the stuff you've done that's like the difficult stuff your mom and the and the bipolar thing do you feel cuz i'm also curious about the i hear both sides of this do you feel like it's therapeutic, like it's helpful to you that you that you talk about this, that you process it through comedy? Or do you ever think that by talking about it so much and doing it as stand-up, it makes it worse because you're re-embedding it, re-embedding it every time it's coming up?
2: Honestly, that's a great question because there were points on the last tour as I was gearing up to film Look at You, the second special, where I was like, I cannot do this material anymore. Not Mm. because I wasn't proud of it. I really loved that material and I was really proud of it. But it was emotionally very draining to do every night. And I was doing it twice a night, a lot of nights. And then, you know, meeting people after shows that were bringing up their Mm. mental health struggles and, and their experiences with losing family members. And it was just really heavy. It was just really heavy to sort of brace myself every night to get into that material. And like we're talking about, make the audience feel comfortable with it. Because when I I was younger, when I was like a teenager and I was going on stage, people were nervous for me because I was so young. Like people were Mm. scared for me because I was so young. So I had to learn how to, they're already nervous. So I had to learn Mm. how to make them feel comfortable just by like carrying myself a certain way. Mm. And I felt that way with that last hour of material too, is I was like, oh, I have to really, I have to really hit the mark. Like I have to really stick the landing on this stuff so that people aren't aren't uncomfortable and it was just a lot it was a lot more uh taxing than like my current hour of material save for that like six minute chunk that I just took out really recently just like this month maybe last month but the first couple months of the tour and over the summer I was doing that material and it was sort of towards the end and I thought it was interesting and it was like a little darker and sadder but I was like I'm just not. I just don't want to dread this part of the show every yeah. night. I want like a break. Like I just want to do an hour that's lighter and easier and still very personal, I think, and is vulnerable and mm. is about certain fears I have right now, but it is it is a lot a lot lighter and it that is on purpose.
0: Yeah, great. That's that sounds good. It's tricky, isn't it? It is tricky because it is also the it's the good stuff. It's always, the the stuff you, the stuff you dread is always the best stuff. I know. It always uh, is. It's a real, it's really annoying. Yeah. The other thing that I think is very nice about you, it seems, is that Dustin Nickerson, who is a very lovely, very funny comedian, seems you always have him as your opener and you travel with him. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Is Instagram true? Instagram is true. And have you known him forever? I just love that you're always with your friend on these things. That seems like a lovely relationship.
2: Yes. It's made a huge difference. I met Dustin like 10 years ago, which is funny because he was, we were both a a few years into stand up, but I was, you know, I was in college. I was like 19 and he was my age now because he's about 10 years older than me. And he had like, you know, three kids under 10 and he was married and I was like a child, like we we're very different places and we weren't like friends right away, but we were doing stand-up at the same time in San Diego. And over the years, you know, I started in churches. He was doing some churches uh, as well. And he was just one of the only people I knew who was like doing every type of gig the same way I was. We're like, we were both doing clubs, colleges, churches, corporate events. Like we were both doing everything. And again, we were both in San Diego and just kind of naturally over the years. I think a big turning point was probably when I was, I think I was 23 at the time, 22 or 23. And I got fired from opening for a church comedian. And after they called me to fire me, they took me off a bunch of tour dates uh, as the opener. And they called Dustin immediately after and gave him all of the work that I'd gotten fired from.
0: Uh, Why did you get fired?
2: Because I had tweeted... uh, a joke with innuendo in it. Oh,
0: Taylor. Disgusting.
2: Yeah, I know. It was rough. But it was it was good because it was like the last sort of churchy gig that I was still doing. And then after that, I got to be like, I'm never doing these again. Like, we're just a hard, hard stop on these. But like, I don't think Dustin and I really became close friends until maybe like four years ago. And yeah, he's just like, he's the best. He's like, him and his wife, Melissa are just like great, great people. And like, He's really like my big brother. I have younger siblings, yeah. but I I've been the oldest, and he's really like honest with me, and looks out for me, and is gives me a lot of shit, and like you know, it's just a really good example of like a really good human being, um, yeah. In a great relationship, and and a really good parent, and it's good for me to be with a friend on the road, but it's also good for me to be with a good person all the time.
0: Yeah, you know, Taylor, fuck. Um, I've forgotten to tell you something. Ah, shit. I should have told you this up top before, uh, before we got into all of this. I, I feel... I, I, what a mess. I really should have said this to you. You you deserve to know, I suppose. I should have said it earlier. I'll just, I'll just say it. Uh, you've died. You're dead.
2: Oh, my God. I forgot. Dead. I forgot.
0: You're dead. Uh, How that's did you right.
2: die? You know, it's embarrassing. I... uh i i choked on a supplement, a supplement. I, I actually choked oh. a supplement which is you know the irony, irony. taking something to live longer uh but no i was i was in a hurry and i i oh, took nuts. you know sometimes which you throw one? a few back because mm-hmm. it was fish oil and magnesium it was two oh. big guys and i thought i could do it and i just oh. i flew too close to the sun and you can't uh, double
0: up the fish oil the fish oil always on its own no. is too big
2: it's too big. You gotta really focus. You gotta breathe through one fish oil. Mm. And so the fact that I tried to double up is I have no one to blame but myself. And uh luckily I'm making enough money on the road that they found me uh in my apartment within 24 hours because my agents were like, Why isn't she answering our emails? Um, otherwise it might have been a week. 11. Who knows? But
0: <laughs> you're right, like, why isn't she working?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Everyone else would have been like, oh, I guess is she's depressed. Working. Yeah.
0: How old were you when you died?
2: I was, uh, I was, I was 35.
0: 35.
2: I was in my prime. I was at my peak.
0: You were just about to start coasting as well.
2: (laughs) I was just about to start coasting. It's true. And, uh, you know, my entire team was really, was really torn because on the one hand, you know, you can't make money going forward for them. Mm. But
0: she left at the top of her game.
2: My, my specials went crazy. Everything got so popular once I was dead. Yeah, that's Uh, true. Best thing that ever happened.
0: Delighted. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They're they're at the funeral, like, mopping their tears and quietly looking down at their phone. Still number one. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, we'll miss her. Ding, ding, ding. Tragic.
2: Netflix put it under deadpan comedies.
0: (laughs) Do you worry about death, Taylor Tomlinson?
2: I do, yeah. I think about death all the time. Do you think about death a lot? I
0: mean... Like this do,
2: podcast yeah. i would assume i do think kind about it a
0: fair to. bit yeah do you think about it in a negative context
2: i think i get really scared of death but then mm. i go i'm just as scared of life as i am of death and then sometimes i get so scared of dying that i get exhausted and i go am i just gonna be scared of dying the whole time let's just do it right now yeah <laughs> this is this is <laughs> exhausting bad, a man.
0: Yeah, yeah man <laughs> yeah i hear you what do you think happens when you die
2: i have no idea I think that if anything does happen, we're not going to figure it out. I'm certainly not. I didn't finish college. You know, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I do stand-up. After all that. I do stand up. That's not my job. Do we have a scientist working on that? I just, we're never <laughs> going to figure it coming to me for? It I just read a dick joke. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love it if there's something else. That would be great. I think reincarnation is sounds very beautiful. I mean... Mm-hmm. I would love it if there's something else. I think there's just as likely, it's just as likely that there's something else as that there's nothing. I really don't. Yeah. I don't have like strong opinions about it. I grew up so religious that like certainty, any sort of certainty around an afterlife or lack thereof is like repulsive to me. I'm like, you don't know. None of us know.
0: Was there an incident? Was it a general thing? Or was there a specific thing that made you go, I'm not into religion anymore?
2: I mean, I think it was very gradual because when you grow up in it and your whole family mm-hmm. is is very much a part of it, like, it's really hard to take yourself out of it because everyone around you is in it. So you feel mm-hmm. like there's something wrong with you if you can't buy into it or feel the things you're supposed to feel. But like, honestly, when my mom died... I was eight and everyone was like, we'll see her again. And I'm like, I don't feel that way. I don't know if that's mm. true. And that was sort of the first instance of me going, I don't think I feel how I'm supposed to feel that everybody's right. talking about. And I don't feel like, and I went in and out of this over the years of like feeling like God was there for me or talking to me or whatever. And then feeling like, I don't feel anything. And I think once I got to, I actually think once I started doing stand-up and I started hanging out with a lot of different people, And not just like my suburban Christian town. It really opened my eyes to the fact that there are plenty of people who never even think about religion. They don't think about God. They don't like, it doesn't just eat away at them. And I was always taught in church that everybody has this little like voice in their head that they're just ignoring. And Mm -hmm. that's God. And that's faith. And you either listen to it or you don't. And then I got older and I was like, there's plenty of people who don't have that at all. And it's because it wasn't, you know, like ingrained in them.
0: Can I ask you one more question, which I'm sure you've talked about many times, but it is interesting that you were so young when you did this. If you could, briefly, why did you start stand-up at 16? What made you go, I'm a stand-up, I want to do stand-up, do you you know?
2: Oh, it's not a cool story. Um, I took a a stand-up comedy class from a church comedian, which was a class that my dad wanted to take. And he told me later, he like thought I would write
0: for him. Oh, heartbreaking. That's how
2: it started. Yeah. That's how I
0: started doing stand-up. And it turned out you were good.
2: It turns out. Did, your, out, did your
0: dad do it with you, the course?
2: Oh, yeah. He did the class with me. Yeah, he did the class with me, but he didn't do right. stand-up
0: or anything else. How was his... Oh, God, I, I can't bear it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, listen up, Taylor. Good news. There's a heaven and you are in it. And everyone, it's very exciting to see you.
2: Hell yeah. Oh, heaven, see yeah. You.
0: <laughs> Yeah, there's heaven, it's great. It's filled with your favourite thing. What's your favourite thing? Matcha. It is filled with matcha. It is matcha up the wazoo. There's matcha on the walls. There's matcha on the floors. Matcha, matcha everywhere. And there are matcha people and they walk around and they're very excited to meet you. They're huge fans. They love all your work. They want to talk to you about your life, but they want to talk about it through film. Isn't that weird? And the first thing they ask you is, what's the first film you remember seeing, Taylor Tomlinson?
2: I think the first movie I remember seeing ever, I'm going to say was Aladdin. And I think I watched it like every day when I was very young. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't even know if I remember seeing it or if I was just told that I watched it every day. Okay. And so maybe that was it. I remember seeing uh, Toy Story. It's just a lot of Disney. A lot of Disney Mm -hmm. movies when I was a kid.
0: That's not bad. Yeah. Did you did you think, ah, oh, I love this? I want to be in movies?
2: No, I really didn't. I think I did maybe in like middle school, I did for a bit. But once I started doing stand up, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is way better than everything else. Like I liked acting because I liked being on stage. And then once I figured out that you could do stand up on stage, I was like, Oh, this is amazing. I don't have
0: to, <laughs> to let anyone. I
2: don't have to rely on anybody. This is yeah. this is great. <laughs> But no, when I was a kid, I don't even think I understood that you could be in movies right. until I was like, whatever, 10 or something. And then I was like, why am I not in Harry Potter? Oh, because I'm not British, <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: that was why.
2: That was why, I get it. The first movie I remember seeing in theaters, yeah, uh, and I only remember because I got taken out of it, is I remember being in the theater watching Hercules. And I remember mm-hmm. being carried out because I got scared pretty immediately.
0: Well, you're scared of the blue thing? Yeah. Hmm.
2: it's. I mean, that movie is about hell. It's,
0: oh, yeah. That's not good it's terri-
2: It like opens with hell. Yeah. And you're
0: like, I'm five. Yeah, don't show me Hades. Exactly. It's very scary. What's the film that scared you the most that wasn't Hercules? Do you like being scared?
1: I hate being
2: scared. I hate scary movies. I'm not interested in them at all. I have a, <laughs> I have a couple answers to this. So there is a movie called Nocturnal Animals. Have you seen this movie?
0: Yes, I have seen this movie.
2: It has Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal mm-hmm. and Aaron Taylor Johnson in it. And yeah. I don't think it's actually happening to characters. It's what's happening in the novel. It's story he's
0: that, written, yeah. That
2: they're talking about. Yeah. And it's these guys take this family on the side of the road and they take the mom and the daughter and they they kidnap them and drive off with them. And then mm. the husband, who's Jake Gyllenhaal, like finds their bodies later. And it fucked me up so bad because it's not like a supernatural thing. It's like a yeah. thing that could happen, like all that shit with like, murder and all this like I just can't I can't watch stuff like that cuz it'll it'll fuck me up. So that fucked me up, but it was a really good movie, but I saw that when it came out in theaters by myself and I was like, "Who, can never watch this again." And then uh, a friend of mine told me about Hereditary. I never saw Hereditary, but they explained the plot in great detail and that scared the shit out of me.
0: That for a that while fucked me up. Hereditary. Really oh, really dude. bad.
2: I didn't even see it. I yeah. didn't even see
0: it, and it it's fucked problem. me up. It's worse. It's even worse if you see it. That oh is a fucking God. scary film. Why do you think so many comedians and I have lots of comedians on it in the? I've, I'd say in the far majority, some really love horror, but most hate horror. I have your answer? I hate horror. Don't want to be scared. Hate it. Hate, really? Hate it. Yeah. So many comedians. I think. I mean, I assume it's control, and but the reason I find it slightly surprising yeah. is because horror and comedy are the same thing,
2: right? Right. I, I think the control is a great insight. I think it probably is like you have so much control mm. as a stand-up comedian. Like it's it's hard to do anything else. It's hard to write screenplays and like go through all this pro- Like it's exhaust. You're just like, none of this has to take this long. Like yeah, you know, I write yeah. stuff and do it every night, right? Like, we don't have to what's all this bullshit? Like
0: we gotta go Why through? are we discussing uh, this?
2: Yeah, yeah. Why are we discussing it? Let's just do it. Come on. So that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that if you like being a comedian, you like having control of your surroundings and feelings and career. And to give in to a horror movie is to feel out of control.
0: Yeah, horrendous.
2: Yeah, you're probably right. But also, like, do most people like horror movies? Like, is this specific to comedians? Do you think most people do?
0: They do. It's it's, it's the... Only genre other than kind of big Marvel films that is keeping cinema alive, like horror films, is what people go to the cinema to see consistently. That is so interesting. It's one like the only sort of low budget films that crowds will go and see is horror films. Fascinating.
2: Wow, that's really fascinating. Yeah, that movie Megan is like doing really well right now. Huge, and I want to go see it.
0: Smile was huge.
2: Oh yeah, Smile was huge. I've been asking people if Megan is super scary if I could handle it.
0: I think you
2: Because I'm like, what's the, I'm like, what's the, what's all the fuss about? I keep hearing about this. I, I want to be a part of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. do you, do you go out to the theater and see what's out most of the time? Yeah.
0: I, yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love horror films, but I also realize with horror films, it's like, it's like drugs with me. Like I love them until they're too hard. And then it if like Hered- hereditary really fucked me up and I think I regretted seeing it because it sort of ruined me for a week. I couldn't. I was sort of genuinely scared in my own house. And I thought, why have you put yourself through this?
2: Yeah, that's how I feel after virtually every horror movie. But I like hearing about them. So I always get people to tell me everything that happens in it. I'm like, oh, that sounds good, but I'll never watch it.
0: That makes sense. What about crying? Are you a crier? What's the film that made you cry the most?
2: I've had had movies make me cry a lot. The first movie I remember crying really hard in was uh, when I was a kid was Bridge to Terabithia. (laughs) Oh fuck yeah! You see, okay, yeah. You see It's a Yeah,
0: depressing film. Yeah,
2: it's a really depressing film. And to be like you know ten, and you're like a kid can drown. That's <sighs> fucked up. It, that really, I remember crying really hard in a theater at that one. And then God was, I remember I I watched Kramer versus Kramer for the first time a few years ago. And that made me cry pretty hard. And uh, a more recent, I think the most recent example I could think of was something that made me cry hard was soul. Soul fucked me
0: up. Oh, soul is amazing. Yeah.
2: It's so good. It's so good. It really is. But that was more in a nice way, I guess.
0: Are you comfortable crying?
2: Oh, yeah. I'm too comfortable crying.
0: Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are you you uncomfortable crying?
0: Oh, yeah. I won't cry in front of people. Absolutely not. No way. No, thank you. If uh, if Ted Lasso has taught us anything, it's that vulnerability is a terrible thing and you must always hide it, right? That's the message. That's
2: what I got from it. Yeah. yeah. That's what I yeah, learned. Cool.
0: <laughs> good. Yeah, I think I understood it. What about, what's a film that you love? People don't like it. It's not critically acclaimed, but you love it unconditionally. You don't care Ooh, what anyone okay.
2: thinks. I think, I didn't mm. know until I was an adult that this movie is considered very bad. I think it's good. Still, is a uh, hook.
0: I fucking love Hook.
2: Hook is fucking good, right? I, I think mean, Hook's I'm... a good movie.
0: It's a great movie. I think the first twenty minutes of Hook is some of Spielberg's best work. I love Hook. It's killer.
2: It's so good, and has terrible reviews. And I didn't. Yeah. When I got to be an adult, I don't remember even why I looked it up. I think I was just gonna rewatch it with someone, and we looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes or something, like, and we're like, yeah. "Is this considered a bad film?" <laughs>
0: The worst thing about Hook, I'm sure I've said this on here before, so apologies if I have. Spielberg thinks it's bad. He's wrong. What? He's like,
1: wow. when he did like a
0: career chat, he's like, you know, the one film I think I sort of fucked up with Hook. I'm like, no, you didn't.
2: No, you didn't, Steven. It's
0: it's brilliant.
2: Oh, my God. Did you see The Fableman?
0: I did. I saw it. I saw it just a couple of days ago.
2: So did I. Did you like it?
0: I did like it. But you know, what I liked more Hook.
2: Me too. So did I. I yeah. thought The Fableman's was, was very well done. I also thought it was very self-indulgent. I was like...
0: We should put on the is. poster, it's no Hook. <laughs> 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 it's very... I thought it was very good. But it's not Hook. No, I agree. I'm not going to watch it like I watch Hook.
2: That's what I'm saying. I'm like, if he sat down and said he was ashamed of Hook, like, what?
0: <laughs> Are you... What are you talking about? Like that's what the Fableman yeah, needed to be know. about was him reckoning with it. needed a scene where he goes, I think Hook's not very good. And his Fableman parents go, It's brilliant. <laughs> Believe in yourself. It's so good.
2: I thought <laughs> it was so good. I mean, the cast is so good. Like it's mm-hmm. the fuck it's really, really good. Like,
0: I don't really moving. To- it's really upsetting movie.
2: to me. It's so validating that you also feel that way because I was scared you were uh-huh. gonna be like, no, nah, that's a bad movie.
0: I can't I tried to describe the bit at the end to someone and I couldn't get through it because I was gonna cry. <laughs> I was trying to oh describe what his what his hap- I mean, I can't even finish the sentence. What his happy thought is and I, like, I can't bear it. It's too much. I can't I know it was you. It's, oh fuck. I know. <laughs> Jesus. I can't. <laughs> I'm gonna have to end this. I'm
2: also gonna cry.
0: Sorry. And he spies
2: and off. Oh, oh god. god, it's so Please good. Don't. Please don't. Oh God. I'm sorry. I I would just want to bring up more. I think about I think about the food fight scene all the time. Yeah.
0: And Rufio, so I mean, gee, gee whiz, what a movie.
2: <laughs> it's so good. It's got so everything good. in it. I mean, truly for all the generations. I was like, this movie has everything. There's something for everybody in this. It's so and good. There's something
0: really the build up when they go to London and, and he's doing the speech and the the Orphan Boys stand up and blow kisses to Maggie Smith and the window opens. It's so creepy and like, yeah. oh, what a movie. So you're a pirate, yeah. Peter. Great film.
2: It's so good. It's what so good. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm so relieved mm. you understand.
0: Oh, completely. <laughs> Okay, what is a film that you used to love, but you have watched recently and gone, I don't like this anymore, For whatever reason that may be.
2: Okay, so when I was a kid, my parents had maybe like 30 DVDs that they just kept in their bedroom that I would usually go to if I got sick and I was home alone from Mm -hmm. school. And I remember there was one movie in there that I loved when I was a kid and I tried to rewatch it as an adult and I'm like, this is a bad movie, but I still think it looks really fun to have made, which now if I don't like a movie now as an adult, I go, but this was probably really fun to make. Like <laughs> yeah. that, that always saves it for me is like thinking about the actors having a really fun time. There's this movie called Down with Love with Renee Zellweger and uh, Ewan McGregor. It's like a very campy, like set in the 1950s, like just like it feels like a musical, but it isn't at all. There's no Mm. music in it. So Renee Zellweger's character has like this like glow up and then writes this book about how you don't need to fall in love and women just need to have sex like men have sex. And it like blows up and it's this huge success. And then Ewan McGregor is this like chauvinistic men's magazine journalist and he tricks her into falling in love with him to like write an expose proving like this author who is Mm. trying to tell women they don't need love is gonna i'm gonna make her fall in love with me by pretending to be somebody else uh and then like the twist at the end is that she used to be his secretary before she was blonde like when she was like ugly i guess
0: what and he didn't know. He, and didn't, he didn't
2: know, it. and she like did the whole thing to like win him over and make him fall in love with her because obviously he falls in love with her back. It's just very. I think Sarah Paulson's in it. David Hyde Pierce. It's like when I was a kid, I like loved it, and I tried to watch it yeah. as an adult. I'm like, this is not a good movie, but it's it's like fun. I guess, yeah. but it's not good. I was like,
0: this really doesn't. Sounds like so it's like How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days backwards.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like that, but in, like, the 1950s.
0: Right. I think I'd love it. It sounds
2: great. Honestly, you might love it. You just kind of have to, like, (laughs) buy into it. Yeah. But it's, like, cheesy and silly. Like, it has a spot in my heart, of course, but if I watched it as an adult, I would probably be like, yeah, maybe not. But as a kid, (laughs) I really, really liked it a lot, and I would watch it whenever I got sick.
0: (laughs) That's a great shout, and it's never come up on here. That's a big shout. Ten points for that. I've
2: never... I've never met anybody who's ever seen it.
0: (laughs) What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but the experience you had around seeing the film will always make it important to you.
2: Well, the last Harry Potter movie came out when I was a senior in high school. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: so we all went to go see like the midnight premiere of it when I was a kid, I read like the first few books and they were really important to me. And then my dad decided that they were satanic and that I couldn't read them. And I somehow convinced him, you know, years later to let me go see the last movie with all my friends. Cause it was like a senior thing. Like it mm. was like, I'm like, it's just a memory. I don't even care about Harry Potter anymore. So it was like a very triumphant trip. And obviously like waiting for six hours in line with all my friends from high school yeah. was very fun. And like, you know, midnight premieres, Of movies, like, but yeah, besides Marvel, like, that's Mm. not, like, a thing. Do people still go to midnight premieres of Marvel movies? Yeah. Probably, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they still do that.
0: Midnight previews of things still happen. I hope you were screaming at the screen, Hail Satan, as you watched it.
2: (laughs) I was, I was going, this is so much better than the Lord. Uh, No, that was, that was a big, that was a big thing. And then I saw the, I saw the last Lord of the Rings movie in theaters. Which, watching those as a kid was, like, really important to me. And, like, those those movies I remember, those in, like, Star Wars, I kind of all watched around the same time. Which was, like, nine, nine years old. Mm. And those were, like, the first, like, behind-the-scenes things I had watched about filmmaking. Right. And that made me go, oh, I had no idea this was so hard. Like, I had no idea how much went into this just how difficult it was to get the first star Wars movie made for so many reasons, like at every step of the way is still something I think about all the time. So yeah, Yeah. I think those two, I'm trying to think of a more recent example. Otherwise all of my examples are going to be from when I was a child. Uh, Oh, I have one more. I saw La La Land in theaters when I was living in LA and I really didn't like it. I really didn't like LA at the time. And I went to go see it at this uh, theater down where I used to live that's now closed. It was the Landmark Theater. Uh, mm. And I saw it at like 10 p.m. by myself. And I didn't know a ton about it. I just knew it was the same guy who did Whiplash, which I had loved. And I remember I saw it in like an empty theater at like 10 p.m. And I was like, oh, man, this is really nice. And maybe L.A. is yeah. not that bad.
0: <laughs> that's great.
2: That's well, nice mine.
0: Yeah. What's the film you most relate to? Taylor Tomlinson.
2: Oh gosh. I don't know. That one I don't know that I had a great answer for that. Like what's a what's a what's yours? Can I ask yours? Is it against the rules?
0: Uh Ladybird.
2: Ladybird, really?
0: Ladybird was why? my most recent answer. Because I watched Ladybird and I was like, yeah, I totally relate to this <laughs> to this to Ladybird. Oh I like, my gosh. It's it's the example I use of why of why like writing the more specific you are, the more universal. Like I am not a teenage girl who grew up where she grew up, but I fully, fully related to this, to that film. I was like, i get you. i get you, Greta yeah. Gerwig. Yeah.
2: Oh my God, that's so funny.
0: Yeah. Wow,
2: that's really funny. <laughs> me and this
0: female came out of Lady like, that's us. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was me. How did they capture yeah. me? What's inside me? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have a good I have a good answer cuz I can't say Lady Bird now. I mean, would love to. You uh, can have it. You can join the like Lady an, Bird club. I grew up like an hour outside of Sacramento, but I don't think mm. I don't really relate to her cuz she's so like free-spirited and herself in it. I think like I'm going to say this cuz the the book and both versions of the movie, I think I really love uh and was important to me growing up was A uh, Little Women cuz I was the oldest uh, of four. It.
0: Oh, and really? I didn't know this.
2: there's all yeah, and I think like every ga- time you watch girl- it, all goes. Uh, my brother, my brother is trans, but there's four of us all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's four of us all together, and I'm the oldest. And
0: so you're Meg. Who's the oldest?
2: Probably. There, I mean, it's like I'm not. You know, nobody's. I don't even know. I don't even know. Like my brother's probably Joe. My no. my other sisters. Probably Meg, because she's the most patient. And then I think, I don't think, or maybe she's more like Beth. And then me and my youngest sister are probably fighting it out for, we're probably an Amy-Meg combo, both of (laughs) us, honestly. But everyone wanted to be Joe, but, you know, my brother's Joe, if we're
0: being honest. Someone's got to set fire to the manuscript.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I wish that wasn't me, but that's probably me. (laughs) It's probably so petty. I think I'm Meg now. I think I've matured into a Meg, but I was probably yeah. probably an Amy when I was younger. So, and just didn't realize you're like, you're selfish. But I'm I wasn't Amy. the youngest ever. But yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's so much more fun than like your sex in the city. Like which
0: sex in the city character are you? Is which yeah. little women
2: sister are you?
0: Everyone's like, I'm not Amy. No, I'm not Amy. I'm like, that's two great wigs. I know. Okay. Here we go. This is the reason people tune in. What's the sexiest film you've ever seen, Taylor Tomlinson?
2: Oh, this one I didn't have an answer to. I could not get out of of
0: here. I really
2: couldn't think of one. I can't think of, like, I really can't. I think I'm a prude. I don't. No
0: film has ever given you the horn. Zero.
2: I'm sure they have, but I don't know. Does everyone just say Magic Mike? But even that's like, it's come up so overtly sexual. That's, I guess, that's what I'm thinking of is like very sexy. I don't know. I don't know. I think uh I think all about Eve is very sexy actually. That sounds like sort of a
0: That's a highbrow answer for why. Answer. Why is all about Eve so sexy?
2: I just think she's really sexy. I think like her oh, okay. being this like older sort of like complicated like petty. Like I think she's got so many <laughs> great lines in it. Like I'm like watching that made me feel like maybe it's not that it's sexy, it's that it made me feel like I could grow in, because I don't feel particularly sexy as a person, but I'm like, maybe I can grow into being sexy if I'm like a successful woman in show business into yeah. my 40s and 50s.
0: <laughs> I, I like this plan for you. And then I have to ask the question, and I'm assuming you don't have one, but I'm furious. There's this subcategory, traveling bonus worrying why don't. Film you found arousing that you weren't sure you should.
2: That's easier, I think. Oh,
0: okay, great. You don't
2: think that's easy? Oh, I think that's so much easier. Oh, Um, no. Oh, that's, I think everyone has that. Like, but a a movie that you're you're like, this is a sexy film. I'm like, that's hard. That's a really hard one because that feels more objective. Movies that you were aroused by that you shouldn't have been. I mean, where do you fucking start? That's an easy one. Fucking, how many people say Simba? (laughs) Everyone? Does everyone say Simba? Everyone says Simba. Another really basic one is uh not to do too many Peter Pan movies, but the, the live action Peter Pan movie that came out when I was a child.
1: Mm-hmm. A
2: lot of women in my age bracket, that was like a big one for them. And that the PJ kid... Hogan
0: one with Hugh Jackman in it. No, no, no It's hooked. the one
2: with uh it's the dad from oh god. Oh I'm Jason not... Isaacs. Oh Jason Isaacs, yes. Someone with Jason Isaacs. Yeah and the blonde kid that everyone uh was obsessed with who didn't act in anything after that. And so you can't you can't like go watch his more recent work to feel better about it. Yeah. That's just a just... kid. <laughs> and you keep It's I used to do uh I still do I have a joke about it where I go like I don't think children should allowed should be allowed to be actors because mm. when you're a kid you watch these movies and they're important to your sexual awakening and then you can't rewatch them as an adult because you just remember How horny, you get like nostalgically horny, isn't it? Where you're like, oh my God, I remember how I used to watch this. And now I see that this was a child, but you're like, but I was a child. And you're like, I know, but it's just, I can't watch this ever again.
0: (laughs) But it's still in your head.
2: Why is he whispering? Yeah, you're like, why is he whispering? (laughs) There's like a scene where he's like whispering to like get her to come to Neverland. And I just remember like as a kid, we were all just like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm feeling (laughs) things.
0: Taylor, you've totally made up for the for the not knowing what a sexy film is. I'm very, I'm very I think pleased.
2: it's easier. I know. I'm sorry about that. I I don't have any.
0: So anyway, what is objectively, objectively the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favorite, but subjectively the greatest. Uh,
2: objectively, I'm gonna say Citizen Kane, which I'm sure a lot of people have said.
0: Not enough people.
2: Really? Is number one people. on the AFI. Yeah top 100 movies and the reason I'm going to say it is because it's number one which is you know very difficult to live up to I think and I watched it during quarantine because we were like well we should watch as many movies on this list that we haven't seen now that we have all this time and it like blew my mind how good it was I'm like the fact that this it feels so modern yeah like that's what blew me away about it and the fact that you could watch a movie that came out in 1940 and go, This is this feels so relevant and modern and current and impressive, it was like crazy to me. And that you'd watch it because it was number one on the greatest mm. movies of all time list. And you would still go, Okay, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah.
0: It's legit, isn't it? I'm always delighted when you watch films like that and you go, Oh, it's not boring. I was expecting this to be boring. I assume that's why you all said it was great. <laughs> yeah. It's not boring. Exactly. Well done. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it is fucking great, that film. It really is good. Well done, Orson awesome yeah. Welles. Well done. It's so good. Good for, good for him. Uh, good for him. What is <laughs> the film you could or have watched the most over and over again?
2: I've watched Sense and Sensibility, Angley's Sense and Sensibility.
0: Oh, I love that film. So many times.
2: Do you? Oh, my it's God. It's a fucking
0: great film. It's so a very, good. Very good film.
2: Yeah, that's one of my favorite movies, and I've watched it so many times uh, since I since I was a kid and I just think Emma Thompson did such a great job
0: with that script
2: mm. and it's like everything about it is perfect to me. It's like a comfort movie of mine.
0: It's proper classy, that film. Ang Lee, I mean, I don't like that he keeps doing these uh, motion smoothing films recently. I'm like, can you go back what? to just making beautiful films? He keeps making these like action films with like 52 frames a minute that look like sports footage. Pretty weird. What are you doing? (laughs) Get get back on a horse. You do good stuff on horses. Get back on the horse. Get back on the horse. (laughs) You're good on horses. (laughs) Yeah. You do really good horse stuff. We don't like to be negative, Taylor, do we? So very quickly, what's the worst film you've ever seen?
2: So I was trying to think about this because show business ruins you. As far as being critical of movies. Because you know how hard it is to get anything made. yeah, TV, but especially film. And you know how many different places it could have gone wrong. And you know that like even terrible movies took five years to make. And a million different people weighed in. And that's why it's been. The only movie that I think I've ever walked out of. And I'm not saying this is the worst movie I've ever seen. Because I don't remember. Because I didn't even finish it. There was a movie that came out. I'm gonna look it up from 20. It was came out in 2016, and it was called Rules Don't Apply, and it was Lily Collins and uh, ooh, it was this, the guy who played Han Solo in like the the oh, Solo movie that yeah. came out.
0: Uh, uh, and he was uh, in a, Alden. And Alden,
2: Alfred. yes, and Warren Beatty. And uh, I was oh, so Warren Beatty, a friend you know. of mine. Yeah, there was a friend of mine. We went to go see it and we like love going to see movies. We'll pretty much see anything. And I I think we walked out of it because we were just like, this is not, this is just not great.
0: What were the rules that weren't applying?
2: I, I think he was like her driver or he was a driver. Maybe it was like he wasn't supposed to, they weren't supposed to date or something. I don't mm. even, I don't he even remember. Reply. I just didn't, I just didn't. Like, again, it takes a lot for me to, I don't think I've ever
0: Mm. walked
2: out of a movie before. The only other movie I almost walked out of recently, which I'm so glad I didn't, uh, but I was in a full theater. I went to go see Tar and the, the, oh my God, it was so good. But you know, the beginning, there's all those credits and they're so long. And a bunch of us in the theater were like, did they fuck up the movie? like it was so long yeah. we were so doubt- we were just like is it like, we missed, is this we've the, missed end? the whole
0: film yeah
2: we missed the whole movie what happened like should we go talk to someone <laughs> but then it started and it was
0: great <laughs> yeah what a film good film uh so good. you're in comedy you're an excellent comedian you're one of the greats what's the film that made you laugh the most
2: I saw Bridesmaids in high school yes. and it like blew my mind, which is another one I've seen a bunch of times.
0: It's good. Jesus
2: Christ. It's so good. It's so good. It. I could not believe how funny it was and just how many funny women are in it. And it really like, I still remember seeing that with a group of my friends and walking out of that theater, like just like vibrating. I was so excited that it existed.
0: It's fucking good. It's really, really good. And we need another. Mm-hmm. It's, I keep thinking, has there been anything since Bridesmaid of that sort of scale comedy film with such a big ensemble that are amazing?
2: Has there? I can't think of one. A hit like that? I'm sure there has been.
0: It's probably up but to you, I Taylor. Think-
2: I, hey, if you think I haven't pitched stuff for years, it's like, hey, I would like to make another yeah. Bridesmaids. It's Or something with that impact. Because people always ask you anything.
0: On your IMDb, it says untitled Taylor Tomlinson film.
2: Does it? Yeah. Let's see if that comes to fruition. Yeah, we're we're working on it.
0: Exciting. I do, my um, advice probably needs a title. That would be my only
1: advice. Yeah,
2: oh, yeah. And you know what's so funny? Titles are so hard, but they're not so hard, hard for stand-up specials. My stand-up specials <laughs> have been so easy to title. And everything else is so hard to title.
0: So hard. Uh, Taylor Tomlinson, you've been beyond a delight. However, when you were 35 years old and you were in a bit of a rush because you're a workaholic and you were going from touring and you thought, well, while I'm touring, I may as well pop into the city and do a set of improv, which you said you wouldn't do, but you're a real worker and you were like, well, I forgot to take my supplements and you're in a rush. So you grabbed your fish oil, one fish oil capsule, and you put your zinc down, zinc had gone in, you're done your B12s, you'd done your (laughs) vitamin A, and you were like, fuck, I've really got to go. You grabbed your fish oil and your magnesium, you chucked them in, and then they both got stuck in your throat, and no one was around, and you were like, and you couldn't uh, reach your mobile, which was over there, and you collapsed on the floor. And then your agents, 12 hours later, were like, Taylor's not making money for us. It's been 12 (laughs) hours since she made money for us. This doesn't seem right. I'm furious. (laughs) <laughs> they're like something's up and they called me and i was wondering about with a coffin you know what i'm like and i go oh, i'll check in on there i'm i'm, I'm in the area and i come in your house you are not only dead but the thing has trapped so much you have expanded you're like a the air that has got caught has just expanded and expanded and there's so much more of you than i'm expecting and i'm like oh fuck so i have to get an uh, axe And I start chopping you up, chopping you up, chopping you into little bits to try and get you all into the coffin. There's blood everywhere, bits of you everywhere, everywhere, all over your place. so sorry, but Dustin says he's going to clean it up later. Anyway, I gather all your bits, stuff them in the coffin. It's jammed. There's really only enough room in that coffin. Barely enough room in the coffin, but I can slip one DVD in the side for you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you taking to show the people of matcha heaven on the other side when it is your movie night, Taylor Tomlinson, matcha matcha.
2: I mean, singing in the rain. Am I allowed to Correct. say singing in the rain? Great.
0: I, okay. I, I believe I believe it's already there, but no one is complaining about a rewatch of singing in the rain.
2: <laughs> They're like, we saw this one. You wasted a trip to heaven.
0: <laughs> Send her back. <laughs> She's got more work to do. And the agents are like, yes, please. Uh, Taylor Tomlinson. Is there anything else you would like people to look out for to watch your Netflix specials, EG, or other things?
2: Yeah, watch the specials. They're both on Netflix. I am on tour forever and always. ttomcomedy.com <laughs> for shows. I don't know when this comes out, but I'm probably coming to your city. I'm also going overseas soon. for the first time. Okay, I'm going overseas for the first time, but it's those are all sold out, so…
0: Wow, oh, where are you going?
2: We might be adding, we might be adding one more London show, but I'm not sure yet.
0: Yes, people of London go and see Taylor Tomlinson; she's amazing. All right, Taylor, thanks for your time. What a pleasure!
2: Thank you so much. This is so fun.
0: Have a good day. Good night. So that was episode 233. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, secrets, and video with Taylor. Don't miss the first three episodes of Shrinking that are now available on Apple TV+. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, but write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's a lovely thing to read. It helps with numbers, and my neighbour Maureen loves reading them. Hope you're all well. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much to Taylor for giving me her time. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics, and Lisa Lytham for the photography. Come and join me next week for an incredible guest. But that is it for now. So in the meantime, have a lovely week and please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other.